0: The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, offering solar options, energy security, and solutions for the local community. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to the Fabulous
1: 413, I'm Kelly Smith.
0: And I'm Monty
2: Belmonte. Later in the show, we'll speak with two local residents featured in a PBS documentary about aging and about how art can and maybe should be a part of that process. Actors Candace and Ray Burke let us in on their experience with the film before a screening at the Senior Center in Northampton later this week.
1: And word nerd Emily Brewster, local wordster, senior editor for Merriam-Webster here in Springfield tackles a listener question about gifting and appreciation. And
2: vegetables.
1: Does the snow on the ground not indicate that this is the wrong time of year for that?
2: Says you. But there's a farm in Hadley that knows otherwise.
1: Time for a Local Heroes
2: Spotlight at Winter Moonroots Roots Farm in Hadley. Emphasis on the winter. And we're here with the relatively new head farmer of Winter Moon Roots Farm. What's your name, sir? Rosendo
3: Santizo. Mucho gusto. Tell us about your um, relationship with this farm. I started working here like 14 years ago. And uh, I worked like uh, 12 years with Michael Doctor. And then I take over two years ago, finally.
2: Michael Doctor was one of the first guests on these local hero spotlights on our show, The Fabulous 413, when we went to Mitiera, which is something that kind of grew out of Winter Moon Roots farm and then took over his life, by and large, and then then he can hand the
3: farm (laughs) over to you, right? Yes, that's correct. (laughs) Uh
2: Tell us why it's called Winter Moon Roots, and about why we're here in the winter at a farm, which is not oftentimes when people think of the agricultural season being at its height.
3: Winter moon roots, I think uh, Michael put this name because uh, we grow uh, just vegetables for, for the winter, for the winter market. Uh, we start selling uh, November through March <laughs> and uh, we grow just, just roots and uh, like carrots, beets, parsnips, turnips, radishes.
4: Did so, he always want to just do winter vegetables? Yeah, Rosando, tell us a little bit about why that makes sense for a farm.
3: So, you know, like in winter, it's it's really, really hard to find like lo- local food, uh, organic vegetables around. Uh, so we are thinking about having available like uh, local food.
1: Without and, having to do a greenhouse, greenhouse necessarily yeah, to you, get the springier things that you would want in the winter. Yeah, I've seen in the 20 years that I've been here, the increase
2: in local food of all types because of hothouses because of greenhouses so you can get local greens right now when maybe 20 years ago that would have been harder to do but really when you think about the winter vegetables it's turnips it's beets carrots and things
4: like that. and that's that. a lot of what winter moon roots is growing and I think what's what's different about this farm is for one thing the scale the amount of all these things that are they're growing and another thing that's different is Rosendo could you talk a little bit about there's not one not two but at least three farms that are using this land and some of these buildings.
3: So this building uh, is being shared with uh, two other farms. Next Barnover operate here in uh, in the summer, and Winter Moon operate here in the winter. And also we have many grasses, uh which which is like a uh, flower stuff. Yeah, we did a segment with them months ago and they're still
2: operating right now right you know a couple doors over from winter moon roots farm
4: they
1: have some green, <laughs> they
4: have some greenhouses down in the
1: field Jamie, so. that's a different farm <laughs> they're the next this barn the over next from next barn
4: over farm yeah. so i think that's another one of the reasons that this makes sense to be doing stuff in the winter is that these farms can cooperate and share a lot of the same equipment and a lot of the same land i don't know if if maybe you mentioned that your harvest is sort of concentrated in this window in november december do you employ some some of the same people that maybe work?
3: A few people, a few okay. people uh, come with uh, come with us to harvest and other people, like, have jobs already for winter. Yeah.
2: Tell us about the way that the climate has changed in the time that you've been farming here at Winter Moon Roots Farm. Some of your turnips just got
3: pulled out of the ground in December, right? Parsnips. Oh, parsnips. So, you know, I remember when I started working here, uh, like, let's say 14 years ago, like, it started snowing and, like, November first, November five, and now like you know that like it's changing a lot. I was able to harvest parsley like three weeks ago, which is like uh, unbelievable. You know, like the, the global warm is like affecting us right now because our vegetables have like a high quality because you know we wait at the last minute to harvest, so the cold make everything sweet. And we wait for that. And right now, you know, if it's not cold, means our vegetable is not going to taste the same. So it means we're going to wait, like, for longer. It's cold now, though, so I'm sure.
4: <laughs> I'm sure all those things are sweet. Yes.
5: Yeah. Sure.
4: Correct me if I'm wrong, Rosenda, but they're sweet because the plant is, um, as it gets colder, it's putting more and more sugar into the root, yes. so that the root itself does not freeze, and so that survives. And so the longer you can wait before taking them out
3: of the ground, the more sugar is in there. Yes, that's true. An example on parsnip: if you eat a parsnip like in August or September, the parsnip doesn't taste like. Uh, yeah and and that's not like a, like the right flavor and then if you try those parssim in November or December it taste a little bit sweet and if you try the parsim in March or April, it's the best parsim. taste <laughs> taste like. Fried plantains. I'm not (laughs) not joking. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Note to self.
1: Gotta wait. The texture does change, too. Like, the sugars help make it more palatable. You get that woodiness because you're getting it too early. And when the sugars concentrate, it's much easier to cook, much easier to, to handle...
2: Uh, Rosendo, you did not grow up with the snow, despite the fact that we're at a farm where it's snowing and that you're growing vegetables that you're waiting for the cold here at Winter Moon Roots in Hadley.
3: So, you know, I I grew up in, in Guatemala. I came here when I was like 18 years old. Yeah, I never saw snow in... You know, like growing like 1 to 18, and then finally I saw snow in the ground. I was a bit surprised about that. Oh, finally I see snow <laughs> I, after watching movies, watching, how, reading books about the snow. How quickly did the shine wear off yeah. from that novel? Are you sick of snow? No, I love snow. I really, really love snow.
2: <laughs> well, let's take a little tour of Winter Moon Roots Farm because you have an incredible operation of how you get yeah. this mass volume of locally grown carrots out to the different markets
3: so okay i'm going to uh, open this door and then we're going to see our washroom we have conveyor belts uh barrel washer and the packing machine all the carrots
2: get loaded on this conveyor belt goes into this drum and gets washed and goes up another conveyor belt and then gets measured out into 25 pound bags over there yes that's correct pretty uh 25
1: pound bags yeah Yeah, 25 pound bags is that for the CSA or is that for wholesale?
3: It's for wholesale.
1: Okay. That's a lot to get. Yeah. Yes. you going
3: to turn orange if you I need that know. many
4: carrots. What i do
1: with 25 So,
4: true story. Last winter, I bought a 25-pound bag of, of winter moon roots. I think it was beets from Atlas Farm Store. And I had I did not have space in my fridge or in anywhere in my house to store that. And I actually stored it in my car. <laughs> my car became my root cellar for about... It took about a month for me to eat that bag down. But they were, they were the best. Did you eat them while all driving? The uh, no, they were messy. not a road snack.
1: No. <laughs> we, we call that third fridging? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, you could make like a juice. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. That'd be like, that a good yeah.
4: idea. Where are you leading
3: us now, Resendo, through the second garage door? I'm going to show you the cooler system, which is like a uh, like unique cooler. We have like a cooler system like, just for backups. But like, like right now, the noise you hear is the fan like pouring cold air from outside. So we use like uh, winter cold air to cool down our vegetables. Inside the cooler at Winter Moon
2: Roots Farm in Hadley with Jacob Nelson from Sea Suns. Rosendo Santiso, the farmer here. And here are the 25 pound bags we were talking about. Yes,
3: everything is in 25 pounds. We have a parsnip, we have radishes, carrots, beets, purple tabs. And so what's gonna happen with these? Where are these gonna go? This morning we delivered to the co-ops, Rui Valley in Northampton, Rui Valley in uh, East Hampton, and also we sell to Whole Food here in Hadley and the rest is going to restaurants and to Boston. Because you do farmer's markets in Boston, right? Yes, I do. I do have in Wayland and also in Somerville and in Northampton too
1: in the Boston area, do they want other things? Like, do they ask for different things than the people in Northampton? Like, maybe they know carrots, but they don't know parsnips.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, uh, people know everything. So that's why people's waiting for our roots to go over there. Every time we go over there and then people are like, finally, winter moon is here. Oh, I'm waiting for these roots. So (laughs) it tastes so good. It's cold outside. It's like in the
2: 20s when we're here right now. But you are trying to keep this cooler at a very particular temperature so that everything stays perfect for as long as possible
3: yeah so you know uh, we're trying to uh, keep this like fresh it's 34 35 here inside and we're trying to make this vegetables like thinking they are still alive they still in the ground so that's how we keep this like very very fresh and then you know when we wash the, the vegetables in March they look like fresh. And people in the store are like, oh, are you guys having greenhouse? No, and when you harvest this in November, really, it's fresh. Yeah, that's a
4: good method. We're gonna leave the cooler where it's warmer. And this, this cooler is steaming too. Yeah. It's hard to see the walls from all the condensation and steam in here. And I think that's also to keep it moist so they think well, they're in the soil too, this, right?
3: This cooler needs to be like 100% humid. Yeah, yeah. So that's how this works. Yeah, it feels like the
2: butterfly place in Deerfield, where it's like... Arctic butterflies. Arctic butterflies. It's the humidity in here, yeah.
1: The size of your vegetables is... Ginormous. (laughs) Ginormous.
2: <laughs> yeah, you were saying you had one that was like the size of Jacob Nelson's head. <laughs> a beet. a beast, a, beet. A, beet. A, a, a carrot,
3: not a parsnip. That's <laughs> a jumbo beet. Like a people, like a restaurant, love them. Easy to process, easy to chop them, yeah. and it's very juicy. It's more meat in there. Mm. What restaurants do you sell to? Uh, so we sell in Northampton, Duty Truth, and also we sell to uh, Norwich Juice and Bar. Oh yeah, probably had your juiced beets or whatever there. I believe it. You know, they make salad, juice, and a lot of good things over there. Yeah. I'm surprised everything
1: got so giant after all of the floods. Like, I haven't seen anything come out of the ground nearby that's as big as what you have in your cooler. Like, seriously, your vegetables are huge. <laughs> yeah,
3: so I, cool. everything is big. Even if, you know, we have a rainy rainy season last year. was, like, crazy for all the farmers. Probably I lost, like, a third, but still. Yeah, you but lost they, a third in the flood. I, I, I lost a third. Not in the flooding, because the rain uh-huh. yeah, oh, yeah. I was too wet with uh, Rosento Santizo from
2: Winter Moon Roots Farm here, and Jacob Nelson of Sisa. in November, things start to harvest, a very short, compressed harvesting period, and then you're going to the farmer's markets and markets, etc. What happens when springtime rolls around? What does your life look like then?
3: So, you know, it started again, you know, it started, like, getting ready, plowing the fields, putting cover crop in the fields, and, you know, start all over again yeah you don't just get
2: to kick back for the spring and the summertime watching the other farmers work in the hot fields
1: (laughs) my work is done no not really not really i'm busy all the time are you doing cover crops when the other farms that share some of the land here are doing like their general crops is that usually the rotation that happens
3: so, uh, we don't share the lands, that just the facilities. No, facilities. Okay. Rosendo, your
4: your life through the year has looked a little different the past two years. You were saying you're no longer just in charge of growing all the wonderful vegetables we just saw, but since you've taken over ownership, there's a lot of other skills and things that, that are taking up your time running this business.
3: So, you know, uh, when you work for someone, like uh, you, you just do whatever they tell you to do. But then when actually you run your own business, you have to learn a lot of stuff like marketing stuff, you have to learn about how to use computer. I never used computer in my life before and I'm still learning and my wife is like helping me a lot with the emails. And taxes. In taxes. <laughs> Don't tell me about taxes.
2: <laughs> taxes on the farmer feeds us all, says the Rye Cooter song. Because the
4: taxes on the farmer feeds us all.
2: What was it like though when Michael Doctor, who is a very well-known farmer in the in the area, said to you, hey, is this something
3: you wanna you wanna take over from me? So that was good of him. Uh, you know, I worked for him like 12 years. Finally one time he said, hey you want to take over at some point i am too busy with the tortilla business Uh, at the beginning i I was kind of like scared a little bit (laughs) and then i was okay yeah maybe it's a good opportunity i will take this opportunity now you know i'm running the the business i'm the owner and yeah i'm here michael is still doing like a biking bringing vegetables like he famously brings vegetables via bike even in the winter time all
4: over the place (laughs)
3: Yeah, so one time I remember, we have like a big trailer to put on his bike. And then he bring to the store like 1200 pounds. And I told him, Michael, do you think you're a truck or who
6: you think you are? <laughs> you, you're not a truck. <laughs> like,
3: you know, like 1,200 pounds. He was crazy,
1: you know? <laughs> that makes me just automatically feel just like, okay, well, I'm out of
4: shape. Yeah, yeah. There are some pickup trucks that I don't think are rated to take 12 oh, yeah, I don't 100%. think so, too. Yeah, yeah for
3: sure. Yeah. But, you know, he's still he's still doing delivery by biking and, you know, he offered, like, every time he called me, Hey, do you have vegetables for me to bring to the store today? <laughs> I was, yeah. I'm looking for my workout today. Can
1: you help? The farmer comes to town. Rosendo Santizo, farmer owner of Winter Moon Roots Farm in Hadley, and Jacob Nelson from CISA. Thanks to both of them for joining us.
2: Later in the show, art and aging. Two local actors are featured in a PBS documentary about those topics that will screen at the Northampton Senior Center this Friday. We'll talk with Ray Burke and Candace
1: barrett Up next, we were gifted a question for The Word Nerd by Penelope in Children Falls, and we appreciate that. We'll talk to Marion
2: websters Emily Brewster all about it. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster, our dictionary in Springfield. You are one of our most popular segments, and we get a lot of audience feedback and questions about what you have to offer to this show and your linguistic knowledge. And uh, we'll get to another listener email next week on the show from Mike in Holyoke. But Penelope from Shelburne Falls writes, Hi, Khalees and Monty. Two word-related things I would love for Emily Brewster to explain. One. The evolution of gifted from the current Merriam-Webster definition to mean I was given or someone gave me to the shift from I appreciate you doing X to I appreciate you. Basically, what's the source of these new uses? When? Why? Penelope in Shelburne Falls. So what do you say there, Emily Brewster?
6: A good question. The why is often much harder to answer than the, you know, is it happening or what is happening Mm -hmm. exactly? And gift as a verb does make some people really uncomfortable, but it's been around for 400 years. <laughs> as is
2: so often the case with people that get on their high horse about language, then they uh, you go to the dictionary, you go to the source, and it's been happening for a long time. So, when was the 400 year ago use? Do you have that uh, written down in the dictionary somewhere? Oh,
6: no. Hold, please.
2: Hold. Put in hold music here. <laughs> Even dictionary editors look things up in the dictionary. So you <laughs> should, too.
6: It's an amazing resource. And this particular one I am looking up in the Oxford English Dictionary. Because they're wicked because old. Yes. Well, because they have the first instance in their dictionary. I can look at what our first instance, sometimes they're at odds with one another because we do our own dating research, but we don't include that first example at each entry. And Uh so it's just harder for me to get to. So I don't know if Merriam-Webster uses this same example, but here it is. And the spelling is all all bizarre, of course, because it's circa is 1600. The friends that were together met he, gifted them richly with right good speed. (laughs)
2: Oh. <laughs> what is that from?
6: It's from a source that is identified as wife in morals skin.
2: Wow. Reliable, so
6: this is reliable why we don't words. include these in our dictionaries. It's, it's way too distracting. I, I would get so hung up on these. I probably wouldn't be able to do, the, do my job because I would just be wandering around these ancient artifacts.
2: We should mention while we're talking about language from 400 years ago, Emily Brewster, that not only your kids, but my kids were in Shakespeare's The Tempest over the weekend
6: speaking
1: a 400-year-old
6: language. Yes,
2: who did your who did your son play?
6: My son played Ferdinand. He got married.
2: How did that feel? <laughs>
6: It felt very strange. He's 12. <laughs> that's about the right age for
1: the time period they're setting it. Yeah, luckily my
2: well, children... Well, in the
6: play, he's 16. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: My son very nearly murdered somebody on stage as Antonio, but was uh, stopped from doing it. And Prospero uh, held a fairy as a slave that he released at the end there. So, you know, it was a morally conflicted weekend for all of us parents of I these mean, young feel, Shakespeare players. I
1: feel like that's most of Shakespeare's work to yeah. begin with.
2: But. Definitely.
6: Although my son's character is actually a very, very morally upstanding character. He's very honorable. He yes.
2: seemed to be, yes. And I
6: did appreciate that. Played
2: yes. very well by your son, Theo, there. <laughs> Back to the word gift, which is also kind of from... You don't want
1: to keep talking about my favorite Shakespeare play? Go it's ahead. Absolutely... No, please I do.
2: <laughs> please, di- please didn't uh, come to see it, but... I I was watching hockey. Yeah, and I got to see it four (laughs) times, which is way more than any human being should ever see The Tempest in one weekend.
1: (laughs) Unless you have different casts, that would be interesting.
2: It was two different casts, so I did saw two from each cast. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, back back to Penelope from Shelburne Falls. Question here, the evolution of gifted from the current Merriam-Webster definition to mean I was given. Gift as a verb, 400 years old.
1: Then when's the first appearance of given? Is it about the same time?
6: no give is a much older word i assume it goes back to old english but let me look at that back to the oxford english dictionary No, this is, I'm looking at our dictionary. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, Yeah, the verb give in English dates back to before the 12th century, so it dates back to Old English. Mm-hmm. Now, but give, if you think about all the jobs that the word give does, <laughs> in our dictionary we list 16 transitive senses, five intransitive senses, and there are multiple sub senses listed at most of those. So give does a tremendous amount of work in the language. Right? You think about all the different ways you can use the word give. And gift as a verb has this very handy way of of being a, a narrower term. So it definitely has appeal. It's true that if I say, you know, someone gave me this lovely book and someone gifted me this lovely book, they can be understood as being synonyms, as communicating the same exact thing.
2: Yeah, gift almost has the two meanings in one. If you gift somebody a book, you are giving them a gift. If you just say, I give you this book, you don't get the double whammy of words with both give and gift in one.
6: Exactly. There is some ambiguity in using simply give.
2: I don't know that Penelope is particularly angry about the evolution of gifted from the current Merriam-Webster definition to mean I was given or someone gave me, but there is a current Merriam-Webster definition that uses gifted in this way, right? That does say that gift is verbable. Mm
6: -hmm. Oh, definitely, yes. Now it's also true that this is a use that has increased dramatically in recent years. Mm -hmm. And so for people to feel like it's new is really reasonable because it is very newly prominent. I feel like even in just the past five years or so, it's been magnified much more even in advertising copy or in in the text that we read on websites that we go to, where you, know, you can gift someone this movie, you can gift someone this album, and we're talking about a digital edition of something. And gift is just, it's just too efficient for it to be passed up by people whose job is to communicate things really efficiently, in my opinion.
1: Plus, I think that the people who are in those positions now were using that verbiage as, like, teenagers. And so, like, now that's standard lexicon for them and, like, standard language for them. It's just comfortable.
2: The millennials have taken over the editorial pages of newspapers, and now we're seeing this all the time. Is that kind of what we're saying here, maybe?
1: I mean, like, language evolves like that.
6: Yeah, as (laughs) is their right. Yeah, yeah. Now, there is another point, a cultural moment that might bear some responsibility for the increase in the use of gift as a verb. Uh There was an episode of a very popular show that aired in in January of 1995, and a character named Tim Watley re-gifts a label maker that Elaine gives him. Do you know what show this is? Seinfeld. Seinfeld. And then Jerry wants to de-gift some Super Bowl tickets that he gave Tim when he thought he couldn't use them. You know those things make great gifts. I just got one of those for Tim Watley for Christmas. <laughs> Tim
1: Watley. Yeah, who sent you that one? One Tim Watley.: No,
4: my Tim Watley.
2: The same. He sent it as a thank you for my Super Bowl tickets.
4: I think this is the same one I gave him. He recycled this gift. He's a regifter.
6: And so this like 1995 sees this it's a really important cultural moment for gift as a verb.
3: Aha. Uh-huh. Because
6: of regifting and de-gifting, those attaching the prefix to to a verb like that I mean it just it kind of increases the 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 verbity of it, you know. Right? Like it's like not only is this a verb, but you can put a prefix on it, and then you can put the opposite prefix on it, and it's. It, and sometimes it, it, a bird. It just it yeah. it, it makes it yeah it, it really it really helps it become more settled in the language.
2: I love that that character that you mentioned, Tim Watley, who re- does the regifting, is played by Brian Cranston, who would go on to be uh, even more famous for his making role meth. on yeah making <laughs> making the blue meth in Breaking Bad. I am the one who knocks. He is the danger. Uh, And (laughs) if you hate using gift (laughs) in this verb way, maybe he's the danger to you there as well from his role in Seinfeld. You're goddamn right.
1: I'm curious about the time in the future where pre-gifting becomes a thing.
2: Well, how would one do that?
1: I don't know. You give somebody something ahead of, like, hopefully encouraging them to maybe give you something later.
2: Okay. Or maybe, like, you just give it to them before the holiday. Yeah. It's like, pre. I don't know.
6: Yeah. Now, another interesting point here is that the first verb use meant to endow, like you, someone was gifted with a beautiful singing voice, for example.
2: Uh-huh. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah, like so, like a spiritual gift, or when like people say, you know, if you've got a gift for music,
6: or schools for the talented and gifted, yeah, classes. Oh
2: right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Those weren't yes. psychologically damaging.
1: It just reminds me of the bumper sticker from David Malkey of Wondermark fame, where it's, like, "I was an honor student. I don't know what happened." Yeah,
2: same. <laughs> don't put kids in a class called gifted and talented and expect it not to haunt them the rest of their lives.
1: That was psyched to be there. I thought it meant we were getting more work, but that wasn't the case. <laughs> I was actually disappointed.
2: Does that predate the gift as a verb? The to be given a gift by some sort of perhaps uh, supernatural being.
6: Yes, yes, that is the first verb meaning. Different dictionaries differentiate between senses in different ways. And so their first sense at that quote, the one from the wife in morals skin text is to endow or furnish with gifts, to endow, invest, or present with as a gift. And they don't specify what kind of gift that is. Yeah, this one, I mean, they're gifted with right good speed. So I don't know, they magically have the ability to go fast. Okay. Yeah. All right.
2: Usain Bolt.
1: Yes.
6: Yeah. Now, according to the OED, though, by the like second decade of the 1600s of that same century, we have gift as a verb being used with the meaning that that is in Seinfeld also. Uh huh. I knew
5: it. You're a re-gifter.
6: It came very quickly, actually. (laughs) The sense development happened in short order. But then with good speed.
2: And then is there a, a 400 year lull until Seinfeld comes out or what?
6: Oh, no, 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 no. The verb use of gift, to give someone a gift, to give someone a present, it's been used all along. It's not like it fell away and then had a resurgence, but it did become markedly more common, you know, about 20 years ago. Oh, gosh, is that 30 years ago now?
2: (sighs) Yeah. You're right. Wow. Okay. You just did that (laughs) to all of us. Sorry. (laughs) 30 years ago was clearly the 1970s, as everyone knows.
1: (laughs) Still, somehow, (laughs) still the 70s.
2: (laughs) So, Emily Brewster, resident Worcester from Merriam-Webster, our dictionary in Springfield. We know that gifted in the first part of Penelope's question is something that's very old, 400 years old. So we should not be uh, too judgmental or critical about it, despite the fact that it had a resurgence in the 90s. The other part of Penelope's question is the shift from I appreciate you doing X to... I appreciate you. Any research that the dictionary or insight the dictionary has to offer into that transition?
6: You know, I was not able to do the full amount of research I would want to do on this. What I do know is that appreciate itself has been dramatically increasing over the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. That means in all of its different forms. It's certainly not true that people have stopped saying, I appreciate you helping me with X. People are still saying that. But also, people are increasingly saying, I appreciate you as just, uh, you know, I am grateful for you.
2: So the use of appreciate is appreciating over the last 20 years, which is another totally different use of the word appreciate. But when I hear, I appreciate you. I usually hear it in AAVE, African American Vernacular English, I feel like on television shows and in circumstances where... Letterkenny. Do they say appreciate you in Letterkenny? They do say I appreciate you. I, well, uh, I was just watching the last season last brother, night.
1: That's what I appreciate about you. Ah,
7: Hughes makes the most delicious trail mix, Katie, and I got to say that's what I appreciate about you.
6: Is that what you appreciate about me? It's a recognition of something. Yes. Like nice. you've
2: been seen by that person in some yeah. way.
7: You appreciates my metaphors, Katie. And that's what I appreciates about you.
6: Is that what you appreciate about me? And we all know that AAVE, African American Vernacular English, or just African American English, is constantly mined by speakers of all the other varieties of English and adopted into the broader language by people who have no idea that it started there.
1: Yeah, I actually had a long, not fight, but like heated preacher talking to the choir about this and habitual or perpetual bee with my sister this this past holiday
6: really about habitual be
1: yeah like in similar fashion like the way that it do be like that and it do be that way coming into slang we were saying basically to each other if you're using that phrase but can't use habitual be like comfortably in other ways you probably shouldn't be using it nearly as much as you are
2: unless you're Frank Sinatra <laughs> And then Italians can use it.
1: But he didn't oh, know that years later he would be influencing Yoda.
6: <laughs> well, and let's like clarify what habitual B is. right? It is the use of B to say that something is continuing to happen or is happening regularly. Yes. Right? Can you give us an example, Khalees?
1: He'd be all up in her business, which is why we all get on his case all the time.
6: There you go. By habit, like perpetually, continually, she is all up in his business. Yeah.
1: The example that I saw used for it where I thought it was really good, granted this is a class of, of, of mixed children, like white and, and black, and they have a picture of Cookie Monster. Uh-huh. Um, and so they ask the whole class, who is eating cookies? And the whole class points to Cookie Monster. And then they ask the class who be eating cookies, and all of the, the African-American kids point to Cookie Monster. Uh-huh. Cookie Monster be eating cookies. <laughs>
2: And I saw after Googling it that on Merriam-Webster's page, Merriam-Webster.com, there is uh, it's also referred to as the invariant B. The term invariant B, also known as habitual B and aspectual B, refers to a common feature of African-American English in which the uninflected verb form B that is just plain B as opposed to forms of B like in being is used to indicate that something occurs frequently or habitually. And the examples that Merriam-Webster gives the kids be walking to the bus stop. That does not sound normal coming out of my mouth, so maybe uh, it's context is key.
1: Yeah. I've been <laughs> playing video games until like way late in the night, I need to stop doing this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but this is interesting going back to Penelope's original question here, the appreciate you does it come from AAVE. We do, Unclear at the moment, but uh, I also love when people take away the A and appreciate you and just say... Appreciate you.
1: Appreciate you. Yeah. I also do I love like when Squirrely Dan just uses the, the plural of it for no good reason. <laughs>
2: you
7: you're pretty good at wrestling there katie and that's what i appreciate about you
5: is that what you appreciate about me
2: watch letter <laughs> kenny i think it is one of the most fascinating uses of the english language albeit canadian english language uh out there right now it's in its final season available on hulu and i'm doing my best to watch it slowly so as not to let it fade away well, Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam Webster, appreciate you and uh, <laughs> lending all your insights into both these questions from Penelope from Shelburne Falls. And uh, next week on the show, we will get to Mike from Holyoke's question about the suffix er. But if you are somebody who has a question for the word nerd, you can email us at thefab413 at nepm.org and we will ask her on your behalf.
1: Woohoo! Yay!
2: Now, yes. like Prospero in the Tempest, I will retire to Millen. And my every third thought will be of my death. Oh,
6: so, wow. Are you going to give up all your magic, Monty? Are you going to give up your magic?
1: Yep. I don't think that Prospero actually gives up all of his magic How at could the he? end of The Tempest. How could he? I want to watch
2: The Tempest, too. We should write it.
1: <laughs> Is it going to be as good as Hamlet, too? <laughs> Maybe. Will we have a song as good as Rock Me Sexy Jesus in it? Doubt it. Rock me, rock me, rock me sexy. And up next, a preview of the PBS program Art and Medicine, Healthy Aging, with two of the folks featured in the documentary Actors Ray Burke and Candace Barrett Burke.
2: And a little more Shakespeare, too. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM.
6: I think that in this culture, the attention is given to how to stay youthful, as opposed to how to actually age in a healthy way.
0: I think it's really important to talk about healthy aging because there are so many of us that are living so much longer now.
4: This show will explore aging through the lens of art, music, and reflection.
5: I'm very excited about being old, yet being a carrier of the art form. Welcome back to
1: The Fabulous 413. In 2022, Twin Cities PBS debuted a program called Art and Medicine, Healthy Aging. This Friday afternoon at 2 p.m., there will be a screening of this documentary at the Northampton Senior Center. Two of the Senior Center's newest members,
2: both actors who are featured in the documentary, will be on hand to explore with you healthy aging through what they call the 4Ms framework. Mobility, mentation, which is better known as mood and memory, medication, and what matters
1: which only sort of starts with m but you know, know. we'll give them a and pass there were this. other m's that we could it could have
2: been like the six or seven m's if i they know really there wanna... were
1: several other m's that they brought in now
2: i want m and m's
1: no. it'd be matterin' <laughs> you're getting there you you're getting, getting there <laughs> <laughs> it's like you just have to get more comfortable with it <laughs> those two features <laughs> featured actors are with us right now ray burke and <laughs> candace barrett burke thank you so much for joining us oh, we're thrilled to be here <laughs>
2: Well, this documentary came out of Twin Cities PBS, and I got a chance to watch it. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'll have a chance to watch it, listener, uh, if you go uh, 2 o'clock at the Senior Center in Northampton this Friday, or you can go to NEPM's website. It lives on NEPM's website as well. But how did you connect with Twin Cities PBS for this documentary? Let's start with you, Candace.
5: All right. Um, Well, we lived in the Twin Cities. We were both actors and teachers with the Guthrie Theater. And we. We were we got lucky with a family doctor who was also the theater's doctor, and Dr. Hallberg, who you see in the in the documentary, um, really believes so strongly that art is part of the healing process that he, as a very straight ahead doc from the university, um, uh, would prescribe books or prescribe plays mm. or, or concerts as part of what he did to get people well. And he started a project called the Hippocrates Cafe that we were a part of. That kind of turned into art and medicine for, for PBS. And um, so that's how we got to be a part of it. He used the Guthrie actors to, um, uh, to kind of be examples of what he was talking about. Uh, wait a minute. Your
1: theater company had a doctor I know. Staff? I was thinking yeah. that. Oh you said that well, immediately. I was like, I should have. Well, there's all this other information, and my brain just went, wait a minute. There's an arts with the organization that had medical staff.
0: Yeah. Well, it wasn't exactly medical staff, but it was if someone got sick. We called Doc Halpern because he was right. Ac- his clinic was across the street, and he was also uh, a physician for the symphony, and uh, for a while for the Minnesota Twins. Oh wow! So yes. uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
5: Just, he just covered like, it all. Just he in case great...
0: Somebody thought he was getting too arty. We
1: throw in the Twins. <laughs> <and> <laughs> get everybody exactly. Right. You need
2: Tommy John surgery playing <laughs> King Lear. <laughs> you know who to
1: talk to.
5: And uh, could. And his clinic was actually a gallery. So so the, when you go into the clinic, you walked into an art gallery.
0: And this is—tell me about these cafes, Ray. Like, what would these cafes well, like the, that morphed into this documentary? The Hippocrates Cafes, they were called. They were programs usually uh, about an hour uh, max, and uh, they would be put together around a specific medical theme. Uh, everything from dealing with cancer— um, Uh, Insect bites, Uh, (laughs) the influenza uh, of—and this is pre-COVID—the influenza of uh, uh, 1918. Uh And he would collect poems, stories, uh, diaries, letters that were actual documents that would reflect this theme. And he also had—he would have two actors and sometimes a singer and two musicians— And he would introduce the theme, talk a bit about it, and then uh, ask the actors to read one of the poems about it or read one of the letters or whatever it might be. Uh, and these programs were enormously successful. He did well over a hundred of them, and we would do them to sometimes to uh, open medical conventions. <laughs> uh, we went to one where we did it at Stanford. What was it about? Ken? Mary
5: Shelley, yeah. Frankenstein. Oh, uh, it was, yeah.
0: And, and it had to do with
5: the first time people were replacing body parts. Mm. Ah. As a, as I a all
0: the way back, you know, to
5: Mary Shelley, and uh, and and then other
0: stories of that era, which was, you know, the fact that you could, uh, uh, with electricity, you could bring tissue back to life mm-hmm. and things like, and store, you know, so actual documents about that that uh, illustrated that for people. Eventually, the local PBS station got very wind of this and very interested in it, and tried to create and indeed did create a video version of what was the Hippocrates Cafe. It, they did change the name uh-huh. <laughs> uh, to right. art, art and Medicine, right. Healthy Aging. Yes. Which well, you part can... of the reason was that they... <laughs> They were afraid people might not understand what uh, who Hippocrates was. He, he must even, be a politician.
1: Well, exactly. <laughs> even though there's and, a whole oath named after him. Exactly.
0: They thought people problem. might get mixed up with hypocrites. So you know, uh, we are so bad at things. Words, <laughs> <You can laughs> words. You can
2: see it with its new name, Art and Medicine, uh, this Friday at two p.m. at the Northampton Senior Center, or go to nepm.org right now and you can you can watch this documentary featuring Ray Burke and Candace Barrett Burke, who are our guests. You can call guests. the
1: Hippocrates Cafe in the comfort of. Okay. yes oh yes <laughs> um, what with with all that wealth of, of arts community where you were what brought you to Western
5: mass our son uh, who is a professor of medieval history at um, Smith and his family our three grandchildren and his wondrous wife and so we thought we we were like at the time 75 76 yeah. and we thought you know while we're walking and talking still and don't have to be burdensome yet, Um, uh, we're going to move while we still can. So we came just before, just literally before the pandemic.
2: Mm, Good timing. Yeah. 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 What's remarkable about this documentary is the way that art interacts with the people that are featured in it in response to their aging what they're doing to maintain their uh their ment their mental health their overall health they've got everything from a classical indian dance featured in this documentary a gospel choir a string quartet writers and poets and visual artists as well and then both of you um, who read a poem and do a section of Lear. now we were just talking an awful lot about uh, Shakespeare, uh, Ray Burke. <laughs> Did you? Is memorization of these large texts part of what you do to incorporate art
0: into your aging process? Well, I I think memorizing and working on uh, uh, heightened language uh, is demanding and uh, fulfilling, and it's something obvious I've been doing. Throughout my career, I've been doing it for 50 years. So it's a continuation for me of something I've already done. And uh, the business of memorization, it's a little different and a little more challenging uh, uh, as time goes by. But I think it's very healthy to do this. (laughs) And I have, like, I do some teaching. And uh, there's a fellow I work with back in the Twin Cities. We work via Zoom. And uh, he's an older guy, does a little acting. But primarily, I think he finds working on, say, we've been concentrating on Shakespearean sonnets, mm. to master the sonnet form and to be able to do them and be able to communicate them uh, uh, verbally, so that the ear, so that it makes sense to the ear and that it has a point. It's not just uh, right, rote right. memorization. You know. yeah. Um, is challenging and uh, very rewarding for him. I find uh, that's true for me as well, as, and, of course, the teaching of it is equally satisfying. Should we hear Ray Burke's performance from Lear
2: from the Art and Medicine Healthy Aging documentary that you can see at 2 o'clock at the Northampton Senior <laughs> Center this Friday or right now at NAPM.org? Go for it, Betsy.
7: Where have I been? Where am I? I would, I were assured of my condition. (laughs) Pray do not mock me. I am a very foolish, fond old man, fourscore and upward, no, no more or less, and to deal plainly. I fear I am not in my perfect mind. Thinks I should know you and know this man. Yet I am doubtful, for I'm mainly ignorant what place this is. And all the skill I have remembers not these garments, nor I know not where I did lodge last night. Not laugh at me. For as I am a man, I think this lady to be my child Cordelia.
2: Poignant and powerful piece to talk about art and aging and memory with Lear as performed thereby by Ray Burke, who's featured in this documentary.
1: But I feel like there, it's interesting that we were talking about Prospero before that, because I feel like those are the two ends of the aging spectrum that we get most readily in Shakespeare. You have Prospero at one, where he's yeah. a little bit more lively at the beginning, and then Lear, who is deteriorating. Was it intentional to do Lear, or was there the option to do another aging figure from Shakespeare for this piece, for the documentary?
0: Well this grew uh the the choice to include it uh grew out of a program we had done about aging for some senior uh centers one of one of the hippocrates cafes and uh uh john hallberg actually picked uh <laughs> the material mm. and so i said well yeah well, here let me play a little bit with it and i did a, helped with the cutting of it mm. But he, at that point, hadn't thought to uh, uh, include another piece of Shakespeare. so uh, And, of course, I hadn't gotten a chance to play Prospero, but I had played later. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Well, let's take a break,
2: and we'll come back and talk more with Ray Burke and Candace Barrett-Burke, who've been married since, what, 1966? Is that correct? Oh, that's wow, that's amazing. <laughs> and who are featured in this incredible documentary, Art and Medicine,
1: that you can see this Friday at the Northampton Senior Center. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM.
2: Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmont. And
1: I'm Glee Smith. And we're
2: having too good of a time with Ray Burke and Candace (laughs) Barrett Burke, who are featured in this PBS documentary that you can see at NEPM.org, where you can see At 2 p.m., not 2 a.m.,
5: at the Senior Center, the
2: very uh, family-friendly and senior-friendly time of 2 p.m. at the (laughs) Northampton Senior Center. Um, And we have heard the piece from Ray doing Lear, but Candace, you do a wonderful poem by Mary Oliver in Mm. the play that is a little bit too long for what we have left in the show, but you do have... Another Mary Oliver poem that you will gift us with
0: right now.
5: (laughs) Well done. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Mary Oliver just talks to us, right, Mm -hmm. about how to live a life. And she, she has a poem that she actually called Instructions for Living. And it's this. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it.
2: I love it. How
5: great is that in terms of like, how do you want to live your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And that's what's remarkable about this documentary to see how the different arts plays, poetry, writing, visual arts is incorporated. How important is it to you? To continue in the arts. You you've now, now you work come here, worked with Chester Theater Company yeah. and continuing to do your work acting. How is that important as you are in you know the your eighties now? Late seventies? I'm eighty. Yeah. I'm seventy-nine. Okay. Congratulations. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's I think it's it's enormously important because it's how we've lived our lives. But also, like in the documentary, as you say, you see a lot of people who are doing what they've Their art form, who who do it as a profession, Uh, but it's also it can be recreational, it can be therapeutic, and one of the great things about the Northampton Senior Center here is that they offer all these classes and all of these artists who are actually working there. They always have a a featured artist um, each month, and and so. We have found that to be a kind of home for us, um, that their staff and the people who come there are all um, right on board with this idea that the arts uh, feed us. The arts are are a way in. uh, The arts are a way to age, not to stay young, but to age well. Mm.
1: I know we only have a few uh, minutes left, but – and that it's a different uh, locale and all but have you met anybody in the medical profession here who has a similar passion for the arts that you encountered in the twin cities?
2: I don't think we have. Not yet. I so if you're, you're listening, yet. doctors yeah. and nurses <laughs> right. and more, you can apply with the yeah. with the Burks here. <laughs> right.
5: <laughs> we have met a lawyer who's on board Uh (laughs) and a real estate agent.
2: And these two will be available to answer your questions at the Senior Center in Northampton if this is something that you want to pursue. And I also mentioned that, Ray, you'll be teaching acting classes as well, starting in the middle of February, going through April 8th at Bombix,
0: an actor's workshop every Monday. That's right. Uh, uh, I'm sort of testing the waters here to see how many people out there are interested in improving their skills as actors. And uh, I've always taught, and I'm looking forward to uh, being able to continue to do that here. Your yeah. resumes are both remarkable.
2: Um, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival with Candace and uh, so much more. But I, will, I would be remiss not to say that Ray not only is pap in the Naked Gun <laughs> uh, movies, uh, 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 which you should go in- see.
1: In Buckaroo Bonsai.
2: Buckaroo Bonsai, which... We had John Indeed. Lithgow on, and we basically had to do all of our best not to
0: only talk about Buckaroo <laughs> Bonsai. <laughs> so, it's... A... That's the first movie I ever did.
1: Right?
0: Really? <laughs> Buckaroo Bonsai. <laughs> well, it's delightful. Did to... you
1: have lots of prosthetics?
0: <laughs> I did, actually.
2: <laughs> you were a reporter in that, right?
0: I was a reporter and unrecognizable as a red lectern.
2: <laughs> I can't Fantastic. wait to go back and watch it He's on the X-Files A bunch of other great stuff Thank you so much Ray Burke and Candice Burke
1: Thursday on the Fabulous 413, there's a nation-spanning organization that chronicles and reimagines songs at the center of the black experience in America, and it's got a branch right here in the Berkshires. We'll
2: speak with the people behind the Black Legacy Project about bringing all folks together through sound.
1: We'll also be eating better, too, as we explore vegan breakfasts with the Humane Society, who is working with Smith College Dining Services. And
2: if you've got a question for U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern, email us, thefab413 at nepm.org. This is the end credits for Buckaroo Bonsai,
1: which is the best. Best end credits of all time. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Kelly Smith. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.